Welcome to From the BLN, the Burnley podcast. Well, it looks like I jinxed it again. Every week I say we're going to be back with a debrief and it's going to be a positive one. And unfortunately, the memo never gets to Vincent Company and his side. Um, a rather dispiriting 2-1 defeat at Bournemouth. One of the games that um, we'd, we'd kind of highlighted as a, as a must-not-lose and probably, if we're being really honest, a must-win. Um, another poor performance. Um to help us unpick that in this episode of the debrief, we are joined by uh, Simon Evans. Uh, we're joined by uh, Mr. Paul Woodhouse, and we've got a very special guest. Um, he is the host of Wheel Talk Live, um, a podcast which has featured the likes of Rowetta from the Happy Mondays, Fenners from Soccer AM, and Adidas Design Supremo Gary Aspen. Um, he's also a, a, a coach in his own right for Burnley FC in the community. Um, and he's an all-round top lad, Joe Skinner. Thank you very much for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me, lads. Really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting into the goings-on of Saturday because I went and have unfortunately got a cold now as a result of going because not only was it what you would describe as a poor performance, but it was also bouncing it down as well. So not typical bomb of really what you would imagine either. So all-round bit of a dross day, to be honest. But, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, Eddie, I used to bang on about how good the sunshine was and how good the weather was down in Bournemouth. But um, Simon, I, I mean, the sun could have been cracking the flags. It could have been 32 degrees. It could have been tops off weather. And it has still been disappointing come 90 minutes, wasn't it? What do you make of that performance? Yeah, there's a lot of retirement homes down there in Bournemouth, isn't there? And uh, and that was the sort of level of uh, energy and excitement that was uh, generated by that performance, I'm afraid. Look, I've, I've stopped looking at these games and trying to analyse them in terms of like, are we going to play like we did last year? Are we going to are we going to unlock things? Are we going to start playing really good football? Um, and just really back into that mode that we were in for several years of, can we just nick something out of this game? Can we do something just to get a result? And And looking at it from that point of view, you know, without any expectations, lowering your expectations completely about performance, you know, it started okay and we got the goal, uh, concede one, but then we stuck in the game. I'm not stretching and looking for positives here, but, you know, we'd said on, 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 on Friday's podcast, can we be in the game? After? Can we just get to an hour and be in the game? And and, and we basically, you know, we, we did that and then we go and give them a goal, absolutely give them a goal. Um, and, you know, overall, just a performance that uh, all the same things that we've talked about so many times were, were still not not right. The playing out from the back was something that really started to, to, to grate because 
it was just so it was almost laughable the way we were doing it, rolling it out to the the center halves who clearly have no confidence in their own abilities or the team's abilities. There's no passes on for them. It's not just their fault, and it's really hard to sort of start pointing fingers and saying, you know, this is this is that person's fault or this is that person's fault when the whole thing isn't working. You know, you can you can question the center halves' inability to play the ball out of the back, fine, but if there's no one in midfield offering a pass. And if the midfield aren't protecting the back line, none of it works. It's a collectively, it's just it's just not really working at the moment, and it's uh, it's worrying. Yeah, Woody, I, I presume you've had the jumbo tron out, and you've you've analysed, and you've done your, your best Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher <laughs> watching it several times over. Um, it doesn't get any, and I've, I have watched it again this morning. It does not get any better on second viewing for everything Simon just said there. The lack of outball, the, the lack of fluid. I mean, the, the lack of fluidity, the lack of being able to string, and I, I should have really counted, but I just didn't have the patience. How many times we were able to string more than three passes together? It, yeah. It's becoming really worrying now, isn't it? That simple, basic metrics that you would measure performances on just aren't being met, are they? That's exactly right. You know, it's that old adage, isn't it? Can they do it on a, a cold, wet Tuesday night in Hartlepool. Fuck me, they can't even do it on a slightly blustery, damp Saturday afternoon in Bournemouth. You know, let, let alone what goes on January, February. That was disgusting. I've just watched the second half because I didn't see it fully yesterday. And it was just pure filth. Like, to your point, to Simon's point, I think the only time we did string more than two passes together was a disallowed goal. And the rest of it, you know, it was all hospital passes. Granted, yes, the pitch was never... Yes, we were playing for the win in the second half, but you're supposed to be professional footballers and have a little bit of a nice to work that kind of thing out. But besides that, there's that confidence level where you see that nobody's really particularly showing, nobody's playing these quick one-twos that's, you know, a functional requirement, a functional prerequisite to playing this kind of football. And if you're not, then you might as well just do fit long. You know, and we're not doing either. It was it was a horrible, horrible second half performance. Yeah. Joe, from your point of view, I mean you would you you had the misfortune of being there, as you say, and experiencing that weather and and, and things like that. It, it it's really shocking, isn't it, when you see it live. I mean it's a bit difficult on TV because you've only seen snapshots. But it, it must be really frustrating for you sat there being able to see the full picture, being able to see the full pitch, being able to see the complete lack of options when somebody yeah. has the ball at their feet. 100%. I echo the lad's thoughts. For this style of play, off-the-ball movement is key to be able to drag your opposition out of their shape. And the tempo of the passing is was also too slow, particularly out from the back as well. And that also drags the opposition out of their shape as well. But if you're just moving the ball slowly from side to side, that that's just comes becomes too lateral, too predictable, and too monotonous. And the word I said to you off off camera there, even off the ball, you know, uh, the biggest criticism at the moment is, and I don't think we've ever sort of, I really had this previously in all of our time watching Bill. Yes, they are young lads and they're going to grow and develop into the role, but the Premier League is an unforgiving beast and you don't have a lot of time to learn on the job. And they're just too nice to play against at the moment. Even when we went 1-0 up, the way yeah. we were playing, I thought we're definitely not going to 
sort to pull up any trees here for the rest of the game. We need another goal. It was always nervous energy. And to be fair, this is what's the annoying part. We make the sides we're playing against aren't actually that good. I, I would say that Chelsea weren't even that good in in parts at home the other week. But we're not being clinical enough. We're just lacking that bite is how I would describe it. Yeah, I mean, Simon, we've said, haven't we? I mean, that was the worst Chelsea side we've seen at Turf Moor in all of the Premier League years. The United side is the same. I mean, they've been torn apart today by Man City. Looked absolutely abject. Joe's right. We're just, I, I don't know. There's just all of that intensity, all of that that willingness to fight, to get sweat and blood on the shirt. It's just, it's evaporated, hasn't it? And it's evaporated very, very quickly this season. It has, and it's 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 a big it's a big worry is that, and you know I think I think you know I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were having a brief debate about are we the worst team in the Premier League or not, and 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 the guy I was talking to said, it's hard to say. He said because Luton aren't great, Bournemouth aren't great, Sheffield United aren't great, but we're definitely the easiest team to beat at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and and we seem to give give a lift to teams that we play, don't we? You know. Um, we we are just too easy to beat now. You know, mitigating fast factors would be you know we were missing Lyle Foster up front. We we're missing Bayer at the back. Um, undoubtedly, would be a stronger side with those two in the team. But having said that, would we be would we be significantly better? I don't think so. Um, you know, the midfield the midfield is, you know, I mean, we we talked to the, on Friday about how poor that defense is, and then when you see the team sheet. Uh, it just reminds you, you just sort of shudder when you see that back line there with Vitinho added into it as well. Uh, and then, and, and they didn't actually do that badly, the defence, really. Um, they didn't have a, an awfully impressive attack against them, it has to be said. But but the midfield's just not working. It's just not working. There's not a shape there. There's not a structure. There's not a body to it. Um, we so badly missed that signing that we talked about time and time again, and not just ourselves, but many, many Burnley fans, how we needed a strong physical shield in the centre of midfield, somebody to play alongside Cullen or Berger or Brownhill, somebody who's phys- got a physical presence. We so badly missed that. And it really is criminal, really, looking at, at the options that, that having all those uh, players, wingers who aren't getting games, and, and we're crying out for players in positions like right back, central midfield. You know, it, 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 it's, it's been the mistakes of the transfer window have, have come home to roost very, very quickly indeed. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. You know, sit here and talk about, about solutions and, and, and it, it's really difficult. I mean, the only bright spot I would say would be that last 10 minutes after, after the disallowed goal, which, by the way, was a lovely through ball from Nathan Redmond. Uh, who did come on? Your man uh, didn't your big, your didn't, didn't come on and grab the winner as I predicted, but did come on and and create what could have been an equalising assist. Uh, lovely pass. Uh, after that, we did sort of sit in their area a bit. Now that might well have been them just sitting off and 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 trying to just see through the last ten minutes or so. But there seemed to be a little bit of urgency there at least. But uh, there's so much work to do. I mean, I, I don't really envy Company and Bellamy and the position that they're in now having to try to sort this out because you don't know, I don't know, I wouldn't know where to start, you know? Yeah. Joe, I mean, in, in terms of 
in terms of what, what Simon mentioned there, that kind of, it did almost feel like once that disallowed goal, which like you say, was probably our best move of the match. Once that happened, it was almost a bit like, oh, actually we could do, we probably trying to get a point here. And then we just suddenly clicked into gear. And, and the problem at the minute is that we start well, as Woody said, we get ourselves, we get our noses in front and then we're, we're there. And, and we can't string more than 10 minutes, 11 minutes, 12 minutes of yeah. positivity together. And then at the end, we're, we're positive again. Berger's come on and he's kind of starting to dictate play. Redmond's come on. Brun Larson's come on. And we've started to look like a team that might create. As a coach, what do you do to try and get those two pockets of play and stretch them over a much longer period of time? Because that's what we need, isn't it? You can't play for, you can't expect to play for, you know, 23 minutes of a 90 minute game and expect to get a result, can you? Even against a side as poor as Bournemouth. Yeah, as my friend Jordan, who you also know, says he's also a coach and he said, Burnley are reactive, not proactive. It's like they wait for things to occur before they actually start to, you know, wake up. And for me, I feel like me and my uncle have this conversation all the time. The best sides play a mixture of football, right? So by direct, I'd, by no means do I mean long ball whatsoever. I mean, like you say, stretching the pitch, getting the ball in behind, moving it quickly, get getting the ball into your wide players. Because for me, that just lifts the energy of the crowd a little bit. And then that makes Bournemouth, you know, um, nervous themselves because obviously they're right there down the bottom end of the table. Even if you have to just be direct for sort of a couple of 5, 10, 15 minutes, just to get the ball at the pitch and get a bit of confidence, it's not necessarily about hoofing the ball up to a big man who's going to hold it off on his chest. It's about moving the ball quickly. That's what direct plays. Get, get your creative plays on the ball. And that also requires, like I said earlier, off-the-ball movement to get people in and out in and out of the shape and the opposition. And as I said there about the re reactive, not proactive, this is one as well. You know, when you said about the Luton and Sheffield United being, you know, worse than us or equal worse than us, we can't keep relying on that rhetoric either because sooner rather than later, they'll start picking up points. And then where does that leave us? Do you know, I'm mindful to be critical of these lads because they're young lads and a lot of them... You know, we have had some great times with Vincent Company and it will it will get there. I do believe we will turn it round. It's just at the moment the unforgiving nature of football means that learning on the job can be quite harmful. Definitely. I think that's right. I think I think I think that's it's it's absolutely true that what he's trying to do fundamentally is what he did last year, isn't it? And and we saw the problems early yeah. on last season that it didn't click straight away in the championship. <laughs> and he and what made company such an impressive manager last season was the way he coached them up very very quickly to play the way he wanted yeah. them to play and it's just not possible to do that with this level of player in the Premier League at the moment now that's the big question is it possible is there loads of stuff going on and it is going to click into place that's a big leap of faith that I, I don't feel like I have at the moment to be honest but but that's obviously what he's struggling and trying to do is to is to coach up players but the players we signed last year were definitely good enough for the championship, possibly too good for the championship. Um, and and the ones we've signed now don't look like they're good enough for the Premier League. A lot of them. That's the that's yeah. that's I think the the harsh reality of it. 
Yeah, and it is a harsh reality, isn't it, Woody? I mean, you know, we 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 admired so much about that team last season, and and again, I had this discussion this morning at football with 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 various people. You, you kind of think, and we've said it enough times, you know, it's it's been revolution, not evolution. Something's got to change. Now, what is that? Is that thing? And we we are going to come on to Murich versus Trafford because somebody's asked us a question on Twitter, but. <laughs> Simon mentioned the midfield. We're going to have to make a change next week against Palace because Cullen picked up his fifth booking, which means he misses the Palace game. Is it, I guess the simplest question is, is it time for Jack Cork? No. Oh. We, we, it's, we, we just, we're just flailing at the minute. You know, we're just running around saying we need something to change. Therefore, we have to change for changes' sake. Every single week, we see three to four to five changes. It's not like we're playing the same 11 week in, week out. We, what, what was it yesterday? Five changes. We're changing things up in positions that we don't necessarily need to change up in, in certain instances. But also the players who were coming in aren't good enough to provide that level of change or support. Because it's like, you know, no one's necessarily said, let's, let's move Cullen out of the middle. We're not going to become a better side overnight suddenly by throwing Jack Cork into Cullen's, you know, Cullen's position and seeing, seeing what happens. You know, and so it's just going to be change for the sake of change, and we'll just flail flail around for a little bit longer, and we may not see anything any better or any different. So I really don't see any difference with any kind of uh, personnel changes really over the long so term. It's, so it's down to the system. You you think, and, and, and again, I share yeah. your view on the system. I'm yeah. I'm guessing we share the same view that the system needs to have a bit more flex to it. Because at the minute, it's, it's obvious to a blind man on a galloping horse, that well-used phrase that I love to use, um, that the system we are playing is just causing the issues that we're seeing. Exactly. Exactly. Jack Court wouldn't have looked any more impressive in the middle of the park yesterday than anybody else would have done. Yeah, so. I think that's true. I mean, somebody's got to replace Cullen, though, haven't they? Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, unless Jack Court's legs have gone to a dramatic extent, um, he would have to be considered as a, as a possibility to replace Cullen. I do agree with you that, that we seem to be swapping and changing three or four players every game, and there doesn't seem to be a great concept about it because, you know, it's it, it is a bit. It's not a good sign for a manager when he goes right. My solution is Trezor on one side and Odebert on the other, and then a week later, they're out of the team. Um, you know, it, that's that doesn't suggest that there's a clear idea there or a clear confidence in those players either. Um, but we saw this right from the start of the season, didn't we? The, the team selection for the Manchester City game was was bizarre and threw us all off, and and there were all kinds of theories about oh, this was a way of we were we were trying to give as much experience as possible quickly to as a broader section of these new players to get them all bedded in and all this kind of stuff, and. But but you know we keeps. I mean the only one we haven't seen is uh, is uh, Masanga, isn't it? He's, he, I think he's the only one. I mean we must have used like um, an incredible amount of players really so far. I don't know what the number is, but it, it, we must be up there with the highest in the Premier League for in terms of how many players we've used in the squad. In it's regards like, to that, that's another thing on terms of the man management side of things. How how do you keep all these players happy? You know. Eventually, some of them are going to get annoyed, like, oh, you know, how come he's playing better than 
playing ahead of me when I'm doing better than him in training, etc., etc. I mean, Zerori, pray to the Bournemouth, must be, and hopefully Benson as well when he gets back. Hopefully, we see him because them lads must be thinking, What have I got to do to get in this team? You know, I helped us get, get up, get up the league, uh, into the Premier League, and this is what me and my friend were talking about earlier. It sort of feels like, again, this is not a criticism because I do believe it will pay off eventually. And it's about a pre, uh, buying assets that appreciate in value, you know, sort of similar to what Brentford and Brighton do, using data to interpret that. Uh, but I feel like we should have, you know, s- signed players like uh, Taylor Howard, Bellis and Matson as a priority. Again, to breathe that continuity within the dressing room and to sort of, you know, get, I'm not saying it's not here already, but, you know, get like a backs against the wall mentality. Come on, lads, no one's expecting us to, you know, stay up here, but we, we took the championship by storm last season and we did it together. And it's sort of like, you know, disappointing because you see that uh, Southampton can buy Taylor Howard Bellis for what, 20 million, is it? Uh, if they go up, uh, into the Premier League this season, that's an absolute steal, and I don't even think that uh, you know, so uh, Man City was demanding that. And again, Nathan Teller as well, the fan base, you know, and energy in football plays a lot more part than you think. So signing somebody like that would lift the fan base every time he gets on the ball. Every time Benson gets on the ball, it gets people off the seats. Then you wouldn't get this argument of. Oh, the crowd is flat. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's going to lift the stadium. If someone's running at you with the ball, I don't care what level it is, it causes problems because you have to think about who's running in behind you, you know, if he's going to cut inside, etc. So, yeah, I feel like as mad as it sounds because I do think spending money on assets that we'll appreciate and we can sell them for profit is the right strategy. At this moment in time, we unfortunately... This is the nature of the Premier League and why I prefer the Championship. Have to focus on staying in the league. Like you said, Simon, it will straight back into the mentality of, oh, let's try and nick a point here and nick a point there. And unfortunately, it's not very fun. I know it's not all about winning, but you want a bit of optimism, don't you? You know what I mean? Absolutely, you do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, the recruitment part of it, you know, we could talk about that at great length, and but we'll just shortly on it. You know, like you say, the data side of it and so on. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about how, how we identified some of these players because, you know, were how how well scouted were they by company himself and how much of it was reliance on data? How many of them were players that were presented to the coach as players? Hey, here's somebody you could have. Um, you know, you think with the Belgian connections that there, there must have been quite a lot of input from, from company, but we don't know and, and, and it's not worked out as well as we thought. And in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of times there, Joe, you know, appreciation of assets and, and the, the players going up in value and so on. Well, there's not been not much of that going on at the moment, is there, unfortunately? Because, you know, there's, if no, you, look, yeah. you know, probably only Lyle Foster will have gone up in value, maybe Osho as well. But uh, not that, you know, it's hard to judge value. No one's selling players now. But if, if someone were to come in for a player of ours in January, we're not looking like we're going to have many of them worth much more than what we paid for them. Um, certainly not our goalkeeper, who we spent uh, 
a huge amount of money on and, and everyone's talking about how he should be out of the team. Just on, on kind of assets, I, I mean, Chris Borden argued quite forcibly um, pre-season, we all agreed with him. If you are looking for a ready-made asset that is only going to get better and better and better and only going to become more valuable, would he? Taylor Harwood Bellis appeared to be that signing, didn't it? We all agreed, kind of, you know, Taylor Harwood Bellis was was the kind of, you know, signing we'd all go out tomorrow and buy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's almost the the kind of no risk investment because whatever you pay for him, we could have probably picked him up for less than a League One goalkeeper um, from mm-hmm. Man City um, and got more, you know, and he would double in value. And people are talking about him being a future in senior captain, aren't they? Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, yes, we know that people have said that you know, the the pace issues with Taylor Howard, Bellis, et cetera, et cetera. But that, like Joe was saying, that level of continuity up from the championship winning side, you know, to try and keep some of those players within the squad who have come up to, and allow those players to at least compete within the Premier League rather than just throwing it at a load of like young kids who have never you know, played first-team football before. It now seems like a, a wiser choice than what we did do. But, yeah, like you say, Taylor Howard bellis would have made a lot, a lot more sense to have brought in. So would, so would Taylor in hindsight, etc. But we didn't, and now this is where we are. I don't know whether in the yeah, long run, though, it would have been a better option. He could have still struggled. There's a reason why he obviously hasn't gone to another Premier League club, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's some talk of, you know, people at the club not being convinced he was fast enough for the Premier League, which, <laughs> given how fucking slow we are, um, suggests that Christ... I did think that though, last conquer. year. I did I did worry about that last year. I worried about that with him and with Cullen last year, I remember. Just, you know, yeah. talking, we didn't have a podcast then, so I was talking to myself. But I, I was, I remember, <laughs> I remember saying to myself, I'm not sure this Arwood Bellis is going to be able to step up to the Premier League. So... I, I can understand why they didn't go for that, but you know, if they'd have signed a better player, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not being particularly impressed by Darrow Shea. I don't think many people have, you know, not that he was really bad at Bournemouth. He wasn't. He had one of his better games actually, but, uh, but yeah, we just we we could pick to pieces that that transfer strategy because so far it looks like there's been uh, it, it's just not working out. Um, and it could it could end up being a, a disaster, really, if we've spent hundred odd million on a team that goes down and loses value um, with 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 you know wages and costs and everything like that. It uh, it doesn't bear thinking about a lot of that. I know there's all kinds of caveats and things that we hope are in place, but it, it never. <laughs> when you go down, it's never good for the finances of a club, is it? And especially not if you've spent a lot. You know, we've seen lots of teams do that over the years come up into the Premier League, spend a load of money and go back down. And we've sort of sniggered at them, haven't we, over the years and sort of said, look, you know, we had that we had that way of doing things under Sean where we didn't bet the ranch. We were well organised. We signed one or two players that we needed for particular positions. And we stayed up and laughed at those teams that spent 100 million and went straight back down again. Well, the, the, the boot's on the other foot now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's move on then. Um, I, I, we did a, a bit of a thread this morning on on the uh, BL podcast at BL podcast on Twitter, X, call it what you will. Looking at that season, um, 
where we got smashed 5-1 on Boxing Day by Everton. At that point, we were 12 points and we survived relatively comfortably. And it was a bit of a, a strange year in terms of the amount of wins that, that teams had. I think at that point, we, we had three wins. Um, I think it was three wins and three draws. And we finished that season with 11 wins, of course. Now, we've talked about this before. After that 5-1, Sean made the decision to bring Tom Heaton back in instead of Joe Hart. And, of course, the emergence of uh, Dwight McNeil kind of helped carry us in that second half of the season. And and somebody made the point on Twitter, that's all well and good, but uh, we kind of made the point on the third. But where do the eight points between now and Boxing Day come from? Because you look at that fixture list, the two... I'm going to call them opportunity games, or Palace at home and Sheffield United at home. But Joe, at the minute, we're not taking those opportunities, are we? You know, you would argue that Brentford, I know Brentford beat Chelsea over the weekend as well, so they've had a bit of a mini revival, but Bournemouth 100% was an opportunity game, wasn't it? An opportunity for us to get points. Do you see us getting close to 12 points come Boxing Day when we play Liverpool? Well, it's hard to it's hard to tell because you know again the, the psychological nature of the Premier League momentum is everything. So you go and get a get a win at Palace, you then a, a slight you know inkling in the back of your mind think you can go and get a point at Arsenal. It's it's like football and sport in general is psychology as much as anything else and belief systems and momentum. And like you say, I do believe we could get something at the Sheffield United. Those home games are key, to be fair, because I think we've also got West Ham in that period. There's there's no reason to hopefully say if we're looking at it from a positive perspective that West Ham will hopefully, obviously we don't wish injuries on anybody, but hopefully be have like you know a depleted squad from the Europe, Europe, uh, Europe, efforts in Europe, should I say. So I think home games are key because, like you say, there's some tough fixtures in there. I think we've got Brighton away as well, which that could be a nasty one if, uh, you know, if if things didn't go away. So it's a case of, I think it's a case of changing things now, but not even necessarily the personnel. It's the mentality for me. I bang on about mentality within sport a lot to the point where it bores people, but we have to do something that lifts the energy of the crowd. And whether that's, you know, unfortunately changing the goalkeeper, I know it's not all about, oh, let's bash James Trafford. It, it's not, but may, maybe that might lift the energy of the crowd because, unfortunately, again, if you want to talk about styles of play, even though it's probably highly likely that Trafford will go on to be a world-class goalkeeper, Buick fits our style of play better than what he does. Every time Trafford gets the ball, even though he does hit the target sometimes, it doesn't fool you with confidence, does it, when he's, you know, clearing the ball field. Whereas Buick, yes, he might not be as good as shot stopper, but, it, you know, he, he can certainly get us up the pitch in that way as well. So maybe it's like little, doing little tweaks like that. Obviously, we're not managers and elite-level coaches, so... But we can only, you know, give us opinion on it, can't we? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Simon, I mean, he makes a good point there, just Joe, in terms of, um, you know, the home games, the ones which we should be looking at. I mean, in that run, we do have trips to Arsenal, Fulham, Brighton, Wolves. You can't see any 
minutes away from home. But it's just difficult to be positive and have a, and adopt as fans a positive mentality for home games, having seen how bad we've been at home, albeit against you know supposedly better and bigger teams. Yeah, it feels like we're saying it every week uh, about the next game being absolutely crucial, and this is the one that we really need to win. But this Palace home game now, um, you know, we we identified these three games coming up as lots of people did: Brentford, Bournemouth, and Palace. And then we'll make a judgment. We said, you know, bonfire night. We'd 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 all make our predictions about whether we think we can stay in this division or not. So this is the last one of those three games after two poor performances on the road. This Palace game, can he find a way in this game to put a, put an half decent performance in and beat Crystal Palace? And then and then you know. We are talking about the small amount of points at the bottom end of the table. So a win is such a massive thing and does change things. It's a, it's a huge one coming up. And I do wonder, going back to that Everton point that you made about, about that 5-1 defeat to Everton on the Boxing Day, he made two changes. That's the point, isn't it? He 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 left out Joe Hart and brought in Tom Heaton and he played uh, Dwight McNeil, I think, instead of Jeff Hendrick in that role, if I'm not mistaken. But... It, yeah, it, was. it was basically the night. The other nine were there. The other nine and the shape of the team, the structure of the team, the way of playing, everything else was there. And just we suddenly had this extra option it, that McNeil gave us, and we had a goalkeeper that restored confidence to the back line, uh, helped organise things, and was was confident in himself. And it all clicked and worked. We're so far away from being able to make one or two changes that that everything clicks because there isn't that nine other nine in place that are going to be guaranteed on the team lineup. There isn't a structure or a system of play in place. We're just so far off it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine. And I hope, I really hope I'm totally wrong, but it's really hard to imagine it completely clicking against Palace. You know, the, the hope would be somehow we can, we can scrap a win. We can scrap a win somehow, or, or there's a little moment of magic or, Lyle Foster's back and he and he and he bangs in a screamer or something happens. Can't really picture us going out there with a side and thinking, oh, it's all clicked now. You know, it's not going to be like that, is it? It's can we pick up some enough points, just scrape and sort of scab some points up to Christmas and then hopefully in the window sign one or two players to to fill obvious problems things and then take it from there. That's the only kind of positive way of looking at it. I can find I'd, I'd, being realistic, you know. Because we're so we're miles away from where that dash team was in terms of the ability to survive at this level. Yeah, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Woody, but I'm, I'm looking to you for some positivity. I know you're, you're our usual <laughs> resident ray of sunshine. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I'm literally I'm I'm almost lost for words. I mean, having kind of just given you that intro there, but um, mm. we had a question VT on on Twitter straw. He said, "Do you think the board will?" back VK in January. I mean, Simon said perhaps one or two players in the positions which we've known since the end of last season that we need to strengthen. Is, is that a reason to be optimistic? That actually if we can be within touching distance by January and or still in still in the fight by January, filling one of the one or two of those problem positions, probably central midfield, probably need another striker. Is that enough for you to be to be positive going into a second half of the season it is now you just told me yeah 
But the fact that we're not completely out of it is quite staggering as it is. It's literally only a win or two, and we're, you know, fourth or fifth from bottom. And I think it could wind up being like that all year. We could be fortunate in that everybody's so shit. There's like a bottom four or five. Currently, so <laughs> shit. We're going to be in amongst this, and it's only going to take a run of two to three games. Therefore, around about January, we get some of it, you know, a little bit better than we have been, and then find the right players for those positions. We could come out of it looking all right, but that's that's quite a stretch, isn't it? My that's positive. The only positive that we can have. Sorry, lads. My positive is uh, it looming Everton twelve points deduction. Does anyone know when that's decided or when that might come into force? Should it be? Uh, should it be? You know, given the go ahead that they have committed financial foul play. Yeah, I think unfortunately it's going to probably take longer than Saturday's VAR decision. Um, <laughs> I presume. I presume Everton will have a right of appeal against that if the Premier League do try and hit them with 12 points. Everton, of course, as we're recording this, one one at West Ham. So again, perhaps there is that hope that kind of teams could, you know, teams that are down at the bottom could scrape results away from home. The problem I've got with Everton is that actually having watched their first couple of games at home, I think Wolves, which they lost 1-0 at home, Fulham, which they lost 1-0 at home, they were actually playing some really good. They were probably the better side in those two games mm-hmm. and, and were on the end of 1-0 defeats. Um, I, I agree with you, Joe. I mean, if, if, they, if the Premier League could just hurry, hurry their arses up and get that 12 points chalked off Everton, um, we'd all move up a point because they'd be bottom of the league and we'd all be a bit happier. Um, Simon, I mean... I don't think I've ever heard Woody quite as positive as as, as we heard him just then. Um, I think he's just doing it for the, the benefit of all our, you know, millions of listeners who are feeling very depressed on a Monday morning. Um, it, it, it could be. I mean, you mentioned the fact that the, the other nine aren't there. Is it as simple as if we change the goalkeeper? And I'm going to ask everybody the same question because I like a quick round robin. If we change the goalkeeper, does every Everything in front of that then become easier because Murich is much better at finding them balls that we've been looking for, setting them wingers off like he used to with Teller and Zorori and Benson. Or is it much deeper than that? Uh, I think it's much deeper than that, but I do think uh, is the round robin question: Should we make the change for the goalkeeper? Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been in the sort of no camp until recently. Uh, primarily for presumably the same reasons as Vincent Company, which is the club spent 20 million on a 19-year-old goalkeeper and you don't go and drop him after six games. Uh, but, you know, it's it's something that should certainly be considered because um, it, there's a lots of things aren't working. And, uh, and if we try that, and we've got a cup tie, haven't we? You know, a cup tie would be... Uh, would be a good a good way to have a look at that again and see if it makes a difference. It worked pretty well against Forest. Um, I think it makes sense. I don't know why we why we signed another goalkeeper like that in the first place. Anyway, I think Murich had established himself as number one, so it, it's something that I think makes sense. Um, and it's going to be very very hard on on James Trafford, um, and it's going to be difficult for a young lad who's come for, in a big money deal to a Premier League club and loses his place by November, um, that's going to have to be very well managed on the 
on the uh, psychological front and on the man management front to make sure he doesn't lose confidence that it's not the end of his time at Burnley, that this is a situation we're making a change because the team's struggling, but you're a massive part of our plans for the future. It's got to be all all looked after properly like that. But unfortunately, I do think it uh, it, it makes sense to, to at least go try that route. Yeah. Woody, I mean, we've we've tried pretty much every position across the back four. We've tried every position in midfield. We've tried God knows how many wingers. We've tried different combinations up front. It does feel like the goalkeeping situation is the, the, the last peg, if you will, to, to try and change. Are you in favour now? I know, again, you've you've been in that no camp. Are you, are you out of the no camp now? Are you in the, look, let's roll the dice. Let's, you know, let's try and chase an ace and get Murich in. I mean, we're at the Hell Mary stage after 10 games, aren't we? I don't think it matters whether you put Trafford there, Murich, or even uh, Lionel Messi. You don't want to be playing give and goes with Dora O'Shea. It doesn't really matter, does it? But I think somebody who is a little bit met- more metronomic, you know, who has the ability to play that one-time pass, and you can see where it all starts to break down. It's all... You know, nothing's coming from the the back and a lot of it breaks down or doesn't even start because of Trafford. Might as well throw Murich in and have a bit of a have a bit of a go, have a bit of a dabble, and then prove that either that was right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah, definitely. And Joe, um finally as well from from you on, on the Murich versus Trafford debate. There's there's something about Murich that feels disconnected from emotion, don't they? And I just I just wonder whether that kind of disconnection from emotion. He doesn't show very much emotion. He's very kind of steely. I just wonder whether that's what we're missing. You talked about as being a bit too nice. Murich just feels a bit less nice, doesn't he? A bit less you take him home to meet your parents. Is that what we need (laughs) to kind of try and get that that back four a little bit meaner, a little bit tighter, a little bit more, you know, stick it up him? I do think it's important to stress that this is, you know, we're, we're all aware this isn't solely on James Trafford, but I'm in Simon's right. camp as well about the psycho- psychological element of, you know, fans getting on his back, conceding these goals, being off his line and realising that, you know, it, it wasn't solely his mistake for the second goal, but, you know, he's, he probably has a Twitter account. He probably reads what people say. And you don't know how psychologically now keeping him in the side could hamper his development later on the line. Look at Joe Hart. You don't just suddenly become a bad goalkeeper overnight. Joe Hart was the England number one for years and then basically went to pieces because the greatest manager, arguably, of all time said you can't kick a ball with your feet properly. And then he just suddenly went that way. So I feel like that that has to be very carefully managed for James Trafford. I do think he's the better overall goalkeeper, but again, the sad reality of what the lads say, the, the, the better style of play goalkeeper for ourselves right now is Murich, and I do think it would be beneficial to sort of use that Everton game as a way of getting him out of the side, but not a lot of who are in the media about it, because obviously it's a cup game. And you expect to rotate your cup, your goalkeepers in a cup game, and then sort of leave Murich in for the Palace game rather than making a big deal out of, oh, we've dropped James Trafford. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone, hopefully, you would expect Murich to play on Wednesday. So use the Everton game as sort of like a, a shielder from the press. That's not even, 
the right word that helped no, me. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the perfect way to do it, really, isn't it? It's there, it's, it's there. If he comes in and performs really well in that game, he can simply say, hey, you know, we played really well with Murch and yeah. I'm gonna I'm going to keep him in this week. It's no reflection on you, James. Um, and you you get down to work and get yourself back in my team. Um, so mm. It's a perfect occasion to do it, really. Having said that, you know, Murich could go and drop an absolute clanker against Everton. And then, uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, we have I had think Murich has had two clean sheets, hasn't he? Two clean sheets in two yeah. cup games for Murich. Um, I, I do wonder if there is, and I 100% agree with you, Joe, I, I wonder kind of how much psychological damage this is doing to a keeper who was, you know, sky high after his summer exploits with the under-21s. I mean, to go from the highs of that to getting, you know, three or four push past you every single game in them that run of home games that we had, I wonder whether, you know, I, I, I do genuinely believe there's probably a benefit to James Trafford just to have him sat on the bench with the goalkeeper coach who is very, very highly regarded and him almost just analysing Murich's game. You know, look, this is what you need to be doing. Because it's difficult. You can't replicate that in training. You know, if, you, if you're playing a kind of 11 v 11 or as we sometimes do in training, kind of, you know, an 8 v 11, I know a lot of managers do that. Um, I know AC Milan used to overload the defence versus attack in favour of the attack. I just wonder whether we're at that point now where James Trafford actually will benefit from time out of the side and time sat with a goalkeeper coach on a match day and just being told, look, just look at his movement. Look at what we want you to do. Look at the system. Because it is difficult. And I just think, you know, I think you've got a point in terms of the psychological nature of the damage it might be doing um, to, to, to James Trafford. Um, the question about James Trafford was asked, I should should just point out, Daz, BFC, Moggy, um, he did say why is VK sticking with, still sticking with Trafford? I think we answered that in terms of it being a £20 million question. But, Simon? Yeah, no, I, I do think one, one thing that needs to be said about this whole Trafford debate that you see online is that um, I think there is a tendency, a natural tendency of fans to be looking at last season when so many things worked so well and it was so fantastic and to see Murich sat on the bench yeah. and think that that's going to be some sort of instant solution and that Murich comes into goal and he's going to be pinging balls out to Kolyosho, who's going to, going to have no one within 10 yards of him and able to bring it down, turn and go at them like Nathan Teller used to do. Um, I think what would be what, what we'll see is that Murich will have a lot less opportunity to play the kind of passes and do the kind of things he did last season because it's the Premier League, because people get closed down much quicker. Uh, and and because our team isn't isn't as well set up, so I, I do hope if Murich does come in, um, <laughs> that people have their expectations a little bit tempered because he's not going to be able to just suddenly come in and get us playing like we did last year. It's not going to work like that. Yeah, Woody, he almost feels like that that guy whose value is increasing yep. tenfold by not playing, as we joking about various uh, various players who suddenly become the answer. You know, we have it with England, we have it with, you know, we have it in rugby, we have it in cricket, we have it in all of these sports that the guy who's not getting the chance, he's absolutely going to be the one that's going to unlock all of the solutions to all of the problems that insert name of team here are having, isn't it? Exactly. And it's and it's just insane, isn't it? And the fact that we're talking about it in terms of a keeper, you know, that we're going to bring a keeper in and that we'll become more creative because of it seems like yeah. a really ridiculous conversation to be having that I don't want to be having. Yeah. Really. And I think, 
I think we're talking about, you know, psychological impacts. We're seeing a psychological impact across the team entirely. I think we're seeing yeah. a psychological Im impact with VK because he's now starting to talk more in terms of VAR decisions and bad luck, et cetera, rather than performances and believing a project, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's something infinitely more deep-seated and deep-rooted than just seeing what kind of owl a will drop, you know, a different type of hospital pass, et cetera, than one of James Trafford's. And that's, I'm afraid, all we'll probably wind up seeing at the end of the day. Well, we went from positive Woody to uh, to an absolute it's right, sandwich. Exactly. It is, isn't it? I mean, you Definitely. can't you can't say he's not right. Um, a very sobering way to end. Uh, thank you very much, chaps. We will be back on Friday, hopefully having celebrated an Everton uh, Carabao Cup win, and we'll be into the last eight. I think it is after that. I can't remember what bloody round we're in, but um, hopefully we will see. Perhaps VK use that as a chance to blood in the team that he's then going to play against Palace. I'm sure it won't be. I'm sure it'll be the usual madness um, in terms of team selection. But we've got that on Wednesday night, Carabao Cup at Goodison Park. Um, against a fairly informed Everton side. I'm not sure I'd ever ever thought I'd say that this season, but there we go. Uh, thank you very much to Joe for joining us. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Woody. Hey, uh, don't forget, you can uh, follow us, rate us, share us, listen to us, give us a, a, a review, all of that carry on. That all helps us climb the charts. Again, we, we were bothering the top 50 of the UK Apple GB soccer charts uh, this week again, which was fantastic. Thank you very much for your support. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Behold Podcast. Uh, until Thursday, um, enjoy the rest of your week or enjoy the start of your week. Try not to remember too much about Saturday. Uh, and up the clarets. Go!